man, last week I got to listen to uh, uh, got to listen to Mark. He did an outstanding job, I, I might add. I thought on uh, doing a good review of where we've been. And so uh, tonight, where you should be, if you have the outline, we're we're getting ready to start um, Revelation chapter three, fourteen through twenty-two. And uh, we'll get to that in, in just a minute. I want to do some review before we do that. Um, and then we will jump into, um, we've got a little video for you as well I want to jump into tonight. So, yes, ma'am. Somebody say something. I'm hearing voices. I'm a mess. Oh, you're working on the video. Okay. I thought I heard a voice. I'm like, did I just dream that? Okay. So, uh, so by by open your Bibles to Revelation chapter three, and uh, this is of course the Church of Laodicea, which is the church age that we are uh, focusing on tonight. Revelation chapter three. Let's uh, take another gander at the Church of Laodicea and what she's uh, looking like, what she's doing, and what the Lord says in the council, and then we'll go back through what we've seen already in our notes and get us up to speed. Uh, to where we are tonight in our teachings. So, uh, Revelation 3 and verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, <clears throat> the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Is he talking about the... Who's he talking about spewing out there, by the way? Is it... Is it Christians? Nope. Who is it? Some of you know the answer to this. Okay, Ron, you can tell us. The church, it's the angel, actually, to the church. So it's not even the church. It's the angel to the church, just so people understand that. Some people think you can lose your salvation there. So he's not talking about us losing salvation. He's, he's talking to the angel of the church of Laodicea, and he says, I know thy works, that thou art, art neither cold nor hot. I, will, I would that thou were cold or hot. So then... Because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Meaning, the church makes him sick. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Uh, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him, and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am sat down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. <clears throat> okay, so this is a again a familiar passage. We've already covered it in some detail. So, we uh, are we we're not up yet. Oh man, are you serious? Oh, that's a bummer. Can we run it off? Of, we probably can't pull it off of of uh, YouTube either, can we? So man, I wish I, I would. That really makes me want to stop and just go fix it. Okay, so um, what formats it need to be in? Hmm. I could have Amy go back and download it. So anyway, um, well, that's a bummer. I was really looking forward to that. Okay, so 
uh, understanding the time frame, the Laodicean church age begins around uh, the end of 19th century and ends when the church is raptured in 1900 A.D. Uh, we saw that in, uh, in our notes. Um, wait a minute. Whoa. There we go. Hang on, let me back up. There we go. So, uh, so we, talk about, we talked about the rapture. Uh, which uh, this church age starts around 1900 and, and, and it ends at the catching away of the church, which is any day now. And then, uh, there's, in case you're just jumping in, this will be on the front page of your notes. The Laodicean period marks the time of the closed door. Uh, Jesus is on the outside of his church, knocking, trying to get in. Um, totally the opposite of the Philadelphian church age where the door is wide open. God opens the door, no man can shut it. Uh, this is also a perilous time in, uh, in the church history. And so, um, and you have all the notes for that. We covered that. Also, we saw that the, uh, this, the beginning of this Laodicean period coincides with the introduction of the modern Bible version, versions translated from corrupt texts that trace back to Alexandria, Egypt. And we saw that materialism and intellectualism um, mar this church age. And we also saw that there are incredible advances in technology uh, at this time, which most of us know that. All right, so... So far, everybody caught up on all that? I know I'm flying through it. For most of you, it's review. All right, so, um, and then we saw that the, um, this is a time of great apostasy and is, uh, is so-called Christianity. And so uh, more and more churches are realizing their, uh, their ancestry of the Roman Catholic Church. Okay, so I don't have my video, so I'll just narrate what, I, what you would have seen if it was up. So there's a video, you can search it on YouTube. Uh, there's a series of videos with Francis Chan, K.P. Yohannan, and uh, Hank Hanegraaff. Uh, the one I was going to show you tonight, it's actually 53 minutes long, so I wasn't going to roll the whole thing. I was just going to give you the first few minutes of it. But it's, it's uh, Francis Chan sitting at a table. Uh, Francis Chan comes from a Baptist background, so he starts as a, as a Baptist in his theology. Um, and uh, how many of you have heard of Francis Chan? All right, so most of us, he's a pretty popular author. Most people have heard of Francis Chan. And uh, so Francis has migrated over the years, and he's a perfect picture of what we're talking about here. So, and, you know, before him was um, Rob Bell, right? Rob Bell, same thing, different day. Um, and so a uh, little different twist on Rob Bell. But anyway, so Francis Chan, you know, um, starts off Baptistic, um, writes, you know, is an author, speaker, what have you, uh, does you know quits his his mega church says you know what I got to get closer to Jesus and goes off I think and ministers in a in a neighborhood somewhere I mean hats off to him praise the Lord wants to be authentic and all that good for him I mean I really you know I'm like that's all right that's his deal praise the Lord and so uh, things have happened though in his life so if you if you dial up this video um, which I don't have for you tonight um, he's sitting there with K P Yohanan who wrote the book. Uh, Revolution and World Missions. For those of you that have read, anybody read Revolution and World Missions? Oh man, that was the hottest thing going about 20 years ago. Um, uh, K.P. Yohannan's an Indian fella, and uh, he wrote this book, Revolution and World Missions. And man, every every American pastor in the world now wants to send uh, all their money to Indians, $200 a month, so they could, or $50 a month, so you know the indigenous peoples can reach the world. Which, by the way, is nothing wrong with indigenous peoples reaching the world. We're all, that's actually what Heartland's all about, is training faithful men to teach others also. 
So we're actively, actively engaged in, in kind of what KPU Hanan was promoting. Um, there are some flaws in the way he approached it, but I won't get into that. So 20 years ago, KPU Hanan, I mean, he was mainstream. I mean, he was every Baptist preacher's friend. Uh, I know Baptist preachers that, that were wanting to support the ministry. We've had members of our church that supported his ministry. Uh, they're no longer here. But, I mean, he's, he was a very popular fellow. And, um, and, you know, a lot of SBC churches got behind it and so on and so forth. And I'm not saying everything KP was doing was bad. However, he was, he was a flaming charismatic. I mean, the guy was, I mean, there was things going on in the churches in, on the ground in India that were just absolutely incongruent with Scripture in regards to uh, gifts and all that. So, uh, and there, by the way, there's a lot of signs and wonders that happen in, in India. So India is not, uh, it's just ripe for charismatic um, heresy. Okay, so, um, <clears throat> so anyway, all that aside, he was fairly mainstream. Uh, had a big, uh, had, a, had his headquarters, I think, in Dallas, Texas, wrote his books, and uh, had lots of money flowing to Asia. Gospel for Asia, I think, was the ministry. Okay, so that dude, uh, who now wears a rosary, and, uh, and uh, you know, I don't know what happened to that guy. I've been told by Indian pastors, uh, who I tend to believe, that he's he's full on like popish and Catholic, wearing a ring, uh, like kiss my ring type of thing. It just it's it's sickening if that's true. I don't know if that's true. That's what I've been told. So it's probably hearsay. I shouldn't even bring it up. But anyway, what is clear is that he's on this video embracing the Eucharist along with Hank Hanegraaff, which doesn't totally shock me because again Hank Hanegraaff, as I've already talked about Hank, you know he's the Bible answer man, and uh, back you know in the nineties. You know, everybody was listening to Hank Hanegraaff. But it was also in the early 2000s, Hank Hanegraaff kind of came out of the closet. And uh, he's like, hey, man, I'm a, I'm a Greek Orthodox guy. I'm Reform. And, uh, you know, I'm all millennial and all of this other stuff. I'm not dispensational. Oh, really? And so I'm, I'm actually hearing this myself. I'm driving down the highway. I remember I was on 71 Highway up here. Uh, as you go over the hill at Peculiar, listening to Hank come out of the closet. And I'm just like, my mind's just going... You know, I'm like, that's why you're always talking about historic Christian orthodoxy. And we're having our Bible studies back then. We're having our Bible studies over at the Christian school. And we're just getting started. And, and I'm looking at this thing going, man, I, I think I can see where this is going. I can see, I think I see where this is going. Because, uh, you know, where, where Reformed theology comes from, uh, the, the term it comes from reforming what was taught by the Roman Catholic Church, right? So it's a Reformed doctrine. We have the Reformed doctrine. Um, and so uh, church history, I believe, would show that there were a lot of, uh, you know, the term Baptist wasn't, wouldn't use, but there's a lot of Bible believers. That's why I like to prefer the term Bible believers, preachers that were Baptistic in doctrine. Uh, you know, the Friends of Zwingli, for instance, I brought up several times um, that he drowned eventually uh, so he could appease Rome. Um, <clears throat> those guys had a lot of influence. Uh, also guys, um, you know, near, um, there were guys being persecuted by, um, uh, John Calvin uh, near, um, what's the town that he was the, Geneva, yeah, outside of Geneva. And so you didn't want to believe what we believe and live in Geneva during the time of Calvin because he would, he would he, he, if he's nice to you, he'd imprison you. Uh, he might just try as a heretic and kill you. So that's left out of history a lot of times. And, uh, and, there's, and I know a lot of us Baptists are, are you know, would uh, not want to even admit that, but it's true. 
Um, and so that doesn't change the fact that truth is truth. You can also find evidence in uh, English history that Tyndale was greatly influenced by Lollards that were preaching, uh, that were actually Waldensians preaching on the streets. Uh, and he had his own personal kind of awakening. Uh, he was actually an ambassador. Uh, he, was, uh, he was certainly, uh, you know, an affluent guy. He didn't have to put his life and career on the line. Eventually, he ended up giving his life for the English Bible, uh, and he's training Lollards all over England. He didn't have to do that. He chose to do that because he obviously believed the Word of God. He was obviously uh, greatly affected by the Word of God. So a lot of transition was happening. Not every person that was in that reform movement was a, was a rascal. Um, I'm just saying that, but ultimately, Rome... Uh, was drawn some lines, and and so um, their whole reform doctrine wasn't far enough. It wasn't scriptural enough, even though they say solo solo scriptura. When it comes right down to it, when it came eventually, but you know by 1500, 1600, they're going back to infant baptism, right? They're going back to even the Eucharist. Some of them, um, you have some stronger holdouts up in up in you know like Scotland, some of the Presbyterians and stuff that were more orthodox and more focused on the Word of God. But, uh, you know, in large part, you, they were already migrating back uh, by the 1600s to uh, a lot of Catholic doctrine that at one time they were kicking against. All right, so I hear Hank Hanegraaff. I'm driving down the road, and I'm hearing Hank Hanegraaff talking about, you know, historic Christian orthodoxy and espousing Reformed theology. And, and he's the voice for evangelical Christians on the radio. Or Give me a break. So where's all that going? Well, again, I've told you this before. I just so happened when I got, I got saved in 1987. In 1988, I just happened to be alive spiritually. I don't mean physically, alive spiritually long enough to see what was going on. So it just so happens, just about the time I got saved, there, became, there, there was a, uh, an intentional effort by Rome uh, to have an ecumenical movement. And one of the tools of that, by the way, is Christian music. And so that's why guys like Matt Marr, who are un, unrepentant Catholics, uh, you know, he's embracing the Eucharist every time he gets a chance, as far as I know. Um, you know, they have some of the better songs on the radio, right? And so the Pope uh, comes out to Denver, and he has a youth movement. And, uh, and so Rome is actively trying to engage, you know, a coming home of sorts. And it wasn't long after that uh, that uh, the Lutheran Church agreed to uh, share the Eucharist with Rome. And uh, so I could see from, you know, hundred. I didn't even have a lot of Bible sense, but I, was, I wasn't born yesterday. And so I'm watching all of this stuff just, you know, from a distance being a young Christian. And this is stuff that's on the news. It's easy for me to find back in the day because we didn't have the Internet. And, uh, and so, uh, and so uh, I'm, I'm watching and checking all this out. Well, we did have the, We had dial-up modems. But anyway, so, uh, so I'm checking all that out, and I'm realizing that, you know, all this is going on. As a matter of fact, I had a friend they went out and passed out tracks. This is a true story. He goes out. Some guys know Bruce Jalapi. Uh, you could verify this story. He gets in a church van, drives out to, to Denver when the Pope's out so they can, do, they can witness that when the Pope shows up for his youth conference out. Uh, this is probably <coughs> in the late 90s, and um, mid to late 90s. Pope comes to Denver, and all the youth come, and, you know, uh, this was John Paul. And, and, he's, and he's, you know, exhorting them to, you know, take the gospel of Rome to the world or whatever. And uh, on the way home, they get on I-70, this is, I can't hardly believe this happened to these guys. Just as they're coming up, uh, I-70 there downtown, you know where Bartle Hall sits now. Uh, as you come up across the West Bottoms, there's those bridges that go across, uh, you know, I-70. Someone set a car on fire, pushed it off the bridge, 
and it lands, boom, right on top of their van as they're driving in from Denver. I know, isn't that crazy? And praise God, you know, none of them got hurt. That's an amazing story. True story. So I remember when that happened, I was like, man, that is God and the devil. I mean, he was, he did not, Satan did not appreciate those boys going out and witnessing uh, at the, out in Denver. So um, you're like, Brian, you're rambling. I kind of am. But the point is this, is that there is definitely a movement, right, to bring in uh, evangelicals under the tent, so to speak. And there has been for, you know, some time. Now, now if you would have went back to the early 1900s, I used to have a book, a Catholic, it was a Catholic published book on Catholicism before uh, Vatican II in the 60s, and man, it was hardcore, and, and there was no apologies calling me a heretic, or you a heretic, and, uh, and you know, 1880s, you still, this, to this day, by the way, the Inquisitions are in effect, and the Roman Inquisitions have never been uh, repented of, right, so they're still in effect, they're still a valid form of dealing with heretics officially in Rome, in the Roman Catholic Church. And I know if you're, and I love Roman Catholics personally. I think Mark said that last, I agree. I, I love, we got Roman Catholics that have been born again. And, I mean, I, I don't have any issues with Roman Catholics. I have family that may be watching right now, grew up Roman Catholic, are Roman Catholic, whatever. I love Roman Catholics. All my Roman Catholic people know I love you. But at the end of the day, the church itself is wicked. And so, um, and it has been. And so, uh, at this time in history, there's going to Laodicea is wishy-washy. So you get you get KP Johannan, uh, you get Hank Hanegraaff, and you get you get the evangelical uh, Francis Chan sitting around a table. And Francis is like, you know, I wasn't sure. I thought this was a heresy, but I think there's something mystical about the Eucharist, you know. And uh, he's just wishy-washy, and he's just like just like Revelation three. You just want to. You know, you can just feel a little vomit coming up in your mouth. And uh, it's just like, wow. Um, it's, um, uh, oh, I just, what was the name of that video? It's, it's Christ present in the Eucharist. It's Christ present in the Eucharist. And it'll be Francis Chan, KP, if you put in Francis Chan, K.P. Yohanan, and, um, and you can watch it for yourself. And you'll just see exactly what I'm talking about. But that is an example. I use all that. I said all that to say this. That's an example of where things are headed. And so that's not a biblical, uh, the Eucharist. Hank Hanegraaff will appeal, again, he always does, to history, church history. Well, Brian, if you knew anything about church history, nobody believed that the Bible was talking, that, that nobody believed that the elements of the Eucharist were symbolic. Everybody believed they were mystical for, 50, for 1,500 years. This is a new thing that occurred at the Reformation. Oh, really? Really, Hank? Uh, how many Baptist works or, or people that were Bible believers, how many of them even had an opportunity to live? Do you know the Spanish translation of the Bible itself it wasn't finished because the, the guy that was trying to translate it was under persecution so much by Rome in Spain that he couldn't finish the Bible? I mean, it wasn't easy. To, John Fox, you know, he lost the Fox's Book of Martyr. He had to rewrite it. Uh, I mean, the, the the people that held fast to the faithful word, man, they were under a lot of pressure. Uh, and so a lot of their works were burnt uh, and destroyed. And, and certainly, you don't need any historical evidence. You have the Bible itself to teach you that those elements are symbolic. That I mean, what you, there is no such thing as the Eucharist and the mystical 
uh, Jesus Christ becoming the bread and the blood be- and, his, uh, and the wine, which is fermented in the Roman Catholic Church, becoming the blood of Christ. That's not even in the Scripture. But, you know, they're the church, and when you have people in ignorance for 1,500 years, then you can, you can say what you want to say with your mystical priesthood. Um, and so, Hank, if you want to hang on to the mystical priesthood and, the, and, the, uh, and all the things for, of, uh, of uh, uh, historic Christian orthodoxy over the Word of God, you're welcome to do that. But at the end of the day, let God be true and every man a liar. The Word of God is the absolute standard for faith. And that, my friends, is what's lacking in Laodicea. It's not, it's not what Brian says. It's not what K.P. Johannan says. It's not what Hank Hanegraaff says. I don't care what Hank Hanegraaff says. I don't care what I think. What matters is what does the Bible say? Thus saith the Lord God. And God gives men opportunities to understand the Word of God. The Holy Spirit of God's our teacher. The local church is given, uh, by the way, uh, to help in that, right? We have pastors, teachers. We're to instruct. Obviously, we need the local church. But at the end of the day, it is the Holy Spirit of God. It is the Word of God that trumps, right? He is supreme. And so, uh, uh, so the, throughout, throughout all of this, God has faithful Bible preachers and teachers who have not sold out or traded in their sharp two-edged sword. And today, I tell you guys, there's a lot. There, we're not the only church, right? There's a lot of churches. I just, Jeff and I just came from the Certainty Conference. Good, it's a good conference, and it's good to know there's other churches. I just had a pastor meeting this week, and one of the pastors that uh, uh, I hadn't seen him in years. We used to work together way back in the day. He's like, man, Brian, it is just so good that we're, there's other churches out there. And he goes, I went back home and showed all my people in my Sunday school class all these different pastors, except for me because I didn't get a picture with him. Uh, but anyway, all these other pastors that, that believe what we believe, that hold to the faithful words we've been taught. We're not the only ones, right? Don't get that Elijah complex. You know, there's nobody else. No, there's faithful people. There's all kinds of faithful people that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. So God is still at work saving people and raising up godly people in churches. Forgive me. I'm sorry I don't have the right video, so I feel bad about that. So you'll have to go look it up yourself, and you can see what I'm talking about. All right, so Revelation 3, 14. Now let's talk about understanding um, the text. Let me get to my notes. There we go, understanding the text. So... um, Again, we, we've looked at the text tonight. Um, consider the meaning of the name Laodicea. Now, in your notes there, it says civil rights. It could also literally, as it's, as it's quoted there, rights of the people. Um, it is uh, has the sense that these rights are more important than God or God's will. <clears throat> and uh, that's we could just park the car right there tonight because there's a lot of truth to that. Um, we live in a country where we're concerned about our rights but it's really important that in this country, the, the only reason individuals, and I will stress individuals, have rights is because they're endowed by their creator, right? The creator. It's, it's based on the revivals. Like, I just read a wonderful article by Calvin Coolidge that he wrote uh, before he was president. He was still a governor. And he, he writes about the, the uh, uh, not the War of 1776, but um, the... the uh, the, uh, the battle that occurred in 1668 in Boston and how uh, the British, General Howe and the British, totally overestimated the, um, the American colonists. They weren't Americans, the British colonists, I should say. Uh, and, and that skirmish, which ended up being, it was only, it was really, casualty-wise, was won by the colonists, big time. Um, and uh, there were three volleys. The third volley, the, the, uh, 
the uh, the colonists had no more ammo, and they had to, they orderly retreated, and uh, the British had to go back and lick their wounds because they got slaughtered. Uh, they totally underestimated them, uh, the colonists, because the colonists were not fighting. This is Calvin and Coolidge making this point. At that time, the colonists were not fighting for America. They weren't fighting for, um, they weren't fighting for all of that. They weren't fighting over property. They weren't fighting over any of that. They were fighting over principles of of liberty that were guaranteed to them from from God, and these were mainly Puritans. And he said they that the British were just not ready for these men who who were praying in the dust before they took up their muskets. You know. I mean, I'm reading this article by Calvin Coolidge, and I'm like, man, I, for a president to write like this, it's very eloquent and very, very good. Um, and so I'm reading this uh, history from Calvin Coolidge's point of view, and I don't even know a whole lot about him, sadly. I'm not that astute on Calvin, Calvin Coolidge. But um, the, at the end of the day, uh, what he was saying was absolutely right. There were, there were waves of Philadelphian revival that preceded the American Revolution. The American Revolution was only successful, if it even was successful, I mean, uh, because of the Spirit of God that it was coming upon the people. That's why there was brotherly love and all of those other things that ended up erupting. And by the way, we quickly went back. That's why God had to send waves of revival. America is no, you know, it's, it's no picnic in this country. Americans go right back to the, like, hogs to the, uh, what's that saying uh, in Proverbs? Uh, a dog turns to his vomit, and a hog to the pig's, pig's die. But, I mean, Americans quickly turn back. So God has sent wave after wave of revival, even after that, um, to, you know, and part of that was judgment on slavery, uh, of course, in the, in the Civil War, and then even in coming into the late 1800s, early 1900s with, uh, with uh, uh, oh gosh, not Ira Sankey, but uh, D.L. Moody and, and, and those men. I've, and uh, and uh, who's the guy, the uh, preacher? That uh, uh, Billy Sunday, thank you, Billy Sunday. Uh, those are really probably the last great, I mean, just Holy Spirit of God moving people, repenting in mass revivals. I mean, Billy Graham's also had a good run um, uh, as well in the fifties up through the sixties and seventies. But uh, man, I tell you, there were some major revivals, and it affected in this country, and it wasn't just this country. You have Welsh revivals, you have revivals around the world. Where the Spirit of God would move, and people would get saved, and I mean, noticeably, you get guys like Franklin, uh, uh, Benjamin Franklin. Uh, they they didn't even understand how Whitfield could project his voice the way he did because it was supernatural. I mean, God was just He was working, man, and and He brought revival to the colonists. And uh, and guys, that's what our country needs, by the way. It, it's not a new president. It's not new legislation. I mean, obviously, all that could stand an overhaul. But at the end of the day, what it needs is people filled with the Spirit of God that are just on fire for Jesus. That's At the end of the day, that's really what it takes. And so, um, anyway, I'm kind of preaching a little bit on that. But this rights of the people thing is not a, is really about where do those rights come from? What, what gives anyone the audacity to think that they have any privilege at all? Well, it, it's because they are a new creature in Christ. And so the issue wasn't what can I get the issue was looking at your brother and caring about brotherly love. It's, it's caring. This is like I'm talking about in First John. It's having a care for other souls. It's, care, it's, it's having a moral compass and saying, you know what? There is right and there is wrong and there is a way to do these things. Just like the medical system right now, the Hippocratic Oath. Man, that guides the medical system. How many of you heard of the Hippocratic Oath? That's based in morality, right? Where does that morality come from? It comes from God. 
right? You, you address other humans with this framework that, you, that they, are, they are, each individual is important to God because Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sin. And so none of us have a right to heaven, <clears throat> yet we have the opportunity to have it because Jesus Christ gave up his rights for us. So you get that mixed up and upside down and it turns in Laodicea to rights of the people. So what God blessed us with was liberty, not with rights. He blessed us with liberty in Christ so that we could exercise our freedom to give for other sakes, just like Jesus did. But you take that down the road a couple hundred years and now people are saying, I got my rights, I got my rights. Now, by the way, I'm so thankful for our rights. I'm thankful for the Bill of Rights. I'm thankful for the Constitution and all of those things. But my point is they simply don't work apart from God because morality comes from God. The concept that every individual is important and it's not just a collective, where does that come from? That's a kingdom of God concept that comes from the fact that the God of the universe came down personally to die on the cross for every single soul and whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That concept is, is, is like, it's, uh, it's mind-blowing uh, before Jesus came to this planet. I mean, that is not something that's common. It's not common in Asia to this day. It's not common in, certainly not in China, right, to this day. That's all about the collective. Uh, the, the whole thing is individual liberty does seem selfish if it's not guided by God. Because you know what? We're little me monsters. Without the Spirit of God, you know what we, we want, what we want. Me, 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 me. And so Laodicea is having some struggles. It, it's making Jesus sick. So, uh, so let's talk about this introduction in verse 14. So this is the only letter written to individuals, uh, the Laodiceans. Jesus Christ introduces himself as the amen, which means so be it. In Christ, all has been said, and, and then faithful and true witness. He will always watch, and he will always tell the truth as to what he says. Of course, his uh, Revelation chapter 19, uh, Jesus' spirit is the spirit of prophecy, meaning that what Jesus says, his testimony, I should say, his testimony is the, is the spirit of prophecy. And so uh, Revelation chapter 1 talks about his testimony. Uh, Revelation 19 speaks to his testimony being the spirit of prophecy, meaning what Jesus says is true. When he says it, it's going to happen just the way he says it. That's why every word of God is true. By the way, Hank Hanegraaff takes a knock at the King James Bible. When you, if you watch that video, he's going to take a swing at us on the King James Bible as well. But that's another story. Uh, but every word of God is true. And so beginning, the beginning of the creation of God, uh, he is not created. Without him, there would be no creation. We exist because he allows us to. Right? It does start and end with God. Uh, the amen, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. And then there's the, the commendation. Commendation. Uh, this church does not receive one. I mean, this church is not getting an amen. You think about the judgment seat of Christ, like we're talking about on Sunday morning, right? John is saying, guys, I want you to be ready for the judgment seat of Christ. I want you to be ready, right? I want you to be there with confidence. Laodiceans are not worried about the, the judgment seat of Christ. I mean, there's people sitting around on Sunday morning waving their hands in the air like they just don't care, singing lyrics and just loving God and loving people. But you know what? At the end of the day, they are not the least bit ready for the judgment seat of Christ. When it comes to actually knowing God and the power of his resurrection, understanding what Jesus said, God forbid, I'd hate to be one of those pastors leading people away from God's word into some other felt needs thing and uh, some other emotional experience that is necess not necessarily has anything to do with what God said. You know what? You might get persecuted. You don't hear 
You don't hear, hear Stephen Furtick talking about that. I mean, it's just not going to happen. These guys are feel good. You know, when's the last time you, you heard, who's that guy with the big teeth? Uh, huh? Joel Osteen, man. I mean, that guy, come on, man. Have you ever seen that clip? He's on, uh, he's on Larry King, and uh, this is obviously several years ago because Larry King's off, off the air. And, and he just cannot bring himself to say there's a hell. And he is just like, he's just twisting around. And Larry King, who's Jewish, you know, is <laughs> screws down on this guy, trying to pin him down. It is just, it's, it's not really even funny. It's just sad to watch. It's just like, man, come on. It's just, it's just Laodicean. It's just sad. There's no commendation uh, from God. No well done, thou good and faithful servant. And so, uh, and so that's, that's, that's kind of sad in and of itself. Now, in verses 15 and 16, it says, I, I know thy works, thou art, thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. I, w- I wish you would be one way or the other. So then, because thou art lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Now, what's interesting, too, is you can see as we get closer toward the catching away of the church, that that, is that, that, that iron mixing with clay concept that you see in the prophecies of Daniel and this confusion, right? We have gender. If you know what gender dysphoria is, it's a confusion over your gender. It's a confusion. It's a it's a melding of am I a guy? Am I a girl? Am I this? Am I? That? Well, there's this there's this androgynous movement right now. Everything needs to be androgynous, and uh, that's just not biblical. God created a man and a woman, right? Very simple, very clear. You have a purpose for all that. I know I'm pre- preaching to the Amen Choir, but it won't be long that when I say something like that, which is self evident, both in creation and scripture, then I'm going to be the guy doing the hate speech, right? So I'm the one that's a hater. Okay, well, you got to decide. Are we going to just go along to get along, or are we going to stick to the word of God? Well, a lot of scenes are just going to go along to get along. They're getting a little wishy-washy themselves, getting a little lukewarm. And so, um, and so they don't want to offend, so the, they just don't tell the truth. Um, wait a minute. Am I ahead of myself? Okay. So that I don't think I, I'm okay, thank you. Anyway, so, so they, they're not, they are not fanatics, um, or they're not deadbeats, right? Jesus is like, I wish you were one or the other. You're just kind of, kind of in the middle of the road. Just kind of like Francis Chan, you know, well, I used to think this, but now I think that. This, well, okay, Francis, what, which way is the wind blowing, you know? It's ultimately because of the authority, the authority is scripture. It's not what men think. Uh, it's not placating. It's it's following Jesus. All right. So um, they seek to please everybody by being neutral on all tough issues, and it makes God sick. It's it's not what they say, but what they don't say. So there's an absence of sin. The blood. The cross, the word repent, I mean, goodness, in our church a few years ago, the word repent became a huge, big deal. And it's like, you know, relax. Repent is a change of heart and mind that produces a change of life. How in the world that becomes a problem is uh, beyond me. Although it does in reform circles mean different things. But at the end of the day, um, man, I'm telling you guys, it's, it's sad because you can't even speak the truth. If you don't let someone know they're sick, and you can, you shouldn't be a jerk about it. I do think that's true. Uh, but man, people, people need to be saved. If you go back though, and you look in Jude, and you see how Enoch was dealing generations, by the way, before uh, the flood of Noah, 
how he was dealing with the culture. They were so hardened against God that he left off all the niceties. And he says, hey, all you ungodly sinners <laughs> and your ungodly sin are going to die. And, I mean, he, and, and, and you're ungodly this and that and judgment's coming. I don't remember. Ron, you got that memorized? I don't have it. Rattle it off for me. So, I mean, it, the, the darker it gets, sometimes the, the harder the preaching has to get. Um, 2 Timothy 4.2 uh, preach the word like it's in season, even when it's not popular to do so, right? Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Um, let's look at that verse. I, I'm just quoting it from my mind. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Am I in the right spot? No, I'm in the wrong chapter. Four. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they shall not endure sound doctrine, <clears throat> but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Now this isn't people in the world, this is people in the church are going to get to where they just want to have their ears tickled. And they would rather hear a story than hear the truth of God's word. Give me something to tickle my ear. Of course, already with technology, people's time, attention spans, and ability to really tune in on anything of significance is shrinking. It used to be 45 minutes, then it was 30 minutes, and now it's, you know, whatever, five minutes, whatever, whatever someone's attention span will bear. So <clears throat> their actions make God sick, of course. He spews them out, and they say they are something, but in reality, they're nothing. <clears throat> they're nothing right? That's what he's saying in Revelation chapter 3. <coughs> but God wants them to be something. He says, in reality, no, it's not that, that they don't know that they're wretched. They don't know that they're miserable. They don't know, think about it, they don't even know they're miserable. They don't know they're poor, they're blind, or they're naked. Now, where are they going to be wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked? At the judgment seat of Christ. That's when they're going to go, oops, I have no clothes. I have no glory to give to my Lord. I spent all my inheritance like the prodigal. And of course, hey, God's going to receive them, but they're going to be received. Everything they had is going to be burnt. And uh, they'll, be, they'll be saved, yet so as by fire. And so it's going to be obvious that you know they did not take this time in history from the time of their salvation to the time of the catching away. They didn't take it seriously. They weren't really all in. They were playing games. And unfortunately, a lot of Christians do that. Their actions make God sick. They say they're something, but they're really nothing. They think they have God's blessing because they have plenty of material wealth. <clears throat> and, uh, uh, and, they, and they have their needs met. Now, that's an interesting thing. Um, when I was, uh, I can see the shift. I've been saved long enough now that I've seen that happen. When I was a young Christian in the early, in the early 90s now, I'm going back further um, late 80s, early 90s, when you heard, I heard the book of Revelation being taught, and at that time, the economy was hot. You didn't have, it wasn't as dark in the world as it is today, even when bad things were happening. It just wasn't like it is today. There's a, there's a negative Nancy, you know, cloud over everybody today. There's just not a lot of joy, hope, um, you know, just, just, I don't know what to call it, tenacity. Um, kind of a lot of just throw up the flag and wave it. Hopelessness is a good word. There's a lot more hopelessness today 
than there used to be back in the day. Um, am I right, folks that are older? Right? There's just not the optimism. Uh, so back in the day, people were, by, by nature, were just a lot more optimistic. And so in the preaching, you would hear it. You would hear revelation. And, and it just didn't, back then, it just didn't look, you couldn't kind of, it was harder to bring the events of revelation, you know, into where we were living in the 80s. And so, you know, if you go back and look at Thief in the Night and those old movies, it's fun to watch them now because, you know, hey, they were working with the information they had at the time. It was cool. But now it's so much easier to see what, what's really going to be going on. You know, so you work with the context. So back then it was like, well, you know, um, we were kind of working in the wealth and the, well, there may be big revivals before the rapture. There might be, well, the Bible says there'll be a falling away. And there's going to be, it just didn't feel like that in the 80s. Because churches were getting big, big buildings, big this, big that, lots of money in America. Not around the world, but in America, lots of money. So I remember that kind of trying to assimilate some of those. Not me, I wasn't preaching yet, I was listening, but I could see the preachers trying to reconcile all that because they're saying the rapture could happen today, and what we're really saying is it doesn't really look today like it does, like the Bible says it's going to look. The good news is, beloved, is it looks a lot more like the Bible today (laughs) before the rapture. So be encouraged because it definitely could happen today. Yes, ma'am. Oh, wait a minute. Kim, we're going to get you on the mic. Hot mic. Does this set of verses strictly refer to saved people that aren't following the Bible, or is it also for those who are maybe think that they're saved, they're going to church and they're doing all these things, but they're not necessarily Are you saved? referring to 2 Timothy 4? Um. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Uh, the answer is yeah. It doesn't. Obviously, in the churches, there's a mixed multitude, so not everybody is born again. So there's obviously, increasingly, probably lost people sitting in churches that, you know, but they're not. They don't make up the church. Saying that the people that when you got to the judgment seat of Christ, you would have to answer for that, and obviously, right. if you're a carnal Christian, you would. But right. But it would be completely different if you weren't saved to begin if with. you're not saved right well, that is well that's an actually that's a good point the fact that you can assimilate with saved people and not know the difference is a problem although it's always happened i mean judas hung out with the apostles the whole time so i don't want to you know there wasn't anything wrong with jesus's ministry but at the end of the day yeah i mean there's always going to be a mixed multitude um but at the end of the day paul is talking to timothy he's a pastor and his charge is the church um so primarily he's not talking about the the temperature of the world the world's always against god the world system first john we talked about that there's a world system um but it's it's gonna it's affecting the church certainly though there's lost people in the church that go along with it you know there's more lost people of the world infiltrating the church and and pretending that that's church versus oh yeah there's more i don't think that guy made the made the tape uh so the the point was she says there's more of uh of the world assimilating with the church today than than perhaps that we've seen in the past i don't know that i don't really know if that's the case or not because i don't know all things god does but i definitely know why that is the case because you know starting in uh 
you know, with evangelicals uh, after I got saved um, is when the 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 uh, the, uh, the movement to so Baptists historically have been separatist holiness, uh, not in the same sense as your Methodist holiness, which is more of a of a an ascetic earning favor with God by being holy, but being a separatist from the world. That's that's a historic Baptist tenet. And um, and you can't help it because the more you preach from the Bible, the more you see that we're not to be we're in the world, but we're not of the world. So the 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 Baptists in particular have taken a beating on that for the last fifty, sixty, seventy years, uh, especially in the seventies and eighties, as legalism, right, ended up affecting Baptists to the point that we did lose people we shouldn't have because of things that were not necessarily in the Bible. Or we're not, or, t- or we made we made rules or preferences greater than Scripture. And I say that when I say we, I mean in the most general sense. Not Heartland. Heartland didn't exist at the time. But you know, so instead of um, so you know, if a guy comes home from Vietnam, he has he's he's disenfranchised, whatever. Now he's got long hair. He's not welcome at church, you know, or whatever. And, and so there wasn't a lot of grace in some cases, or there were exterior standards of being applied that really weren't the Bible. And so kind of as a response to that, um, you know, really, uh, oh gosh, what's his name? Rick Warren, when he wrote The Purpose Driven Church, which is in the 90s, um, and that whole seeker-sensitive movement really began among all the evangelicals, especially Baptists, kind of a movement to, um, not to be accepting, but to just really market, market to the world which has introduced a lot of marketing principles. And marketing works. Um, I mean, and by the way, Baptists are, are good at it. I mean, the, the independent fundamental Baptist movement, uh, going all the way back to J. Frank Norris, and then uh, the World Bible Fellowship and the Bible Baptist Fellowship, these dudes were great marketers. I mean, they set up the, the franchise. And, man, you got in on that, and they had a franchise in every city, and it worked. I mean, it was a good good model. They made disciples, and, I mean, it wasn't all bad. But at the end of the day... Uh, marketing works, whether God's in it or not. <laughs> so you get the praise band going, and you get the light show going, and the same thing that draws you to, you know, Kenny Chesney draws you to church on Sunday, you know? And uh, <clears throat> so what's really drawing us to church? So uh, is it the Word of God, you know? So could you preach 60 minutes? Well, of course not. You're not supposed to preach 60 minutes. You're not supposed to preach 50 minutes. You're supposed to preach 35 minutes because people's attention spans aren't that long. But what are we trying to do? Are we trying to teach the Bible or try to make people feel good, right? And so somewhere along the way, you got to make a decision of what are we doing? Are we marketing or are we upholding the word of truth? Are we teaching the Bible? And because if you're going to be an expository preacher, this is one thing I agree with John MacArthur about. You can't preach expositorily in 30 minutes every sermon. It's just, I mean, you're just not, you'll never get anywhere because it takes some time to lay things out so people can understand them. Um, and so... And so there's the, the marketing really uh, uh, in earnest started there. And I, and I don't think Rick Warren was uh, necessarily um, a, a marketing. What He wasn't trying to do that. I don't, I don't want to blame all that on him. But he, pastors started, by the time I planted this church in 02, uh, and I started reading all these things about church planning, a guy who came out of the business world, I'm like, well, this is like marketing. This is just marketing. That's all we're doing is marketing Jesus. The problem with marketing Jesus is it doesn't make disciples. 
So you can get you can you can bring people to church. You can have whatever. Uh, you know, our sending church, KCBT, back in the day when Truman Dollar was the president, uh, pastor, not president, pastor. Uh, they did all kinds of marketing things. I mean, it was Friends Sunday, biggest Sunday school in the world, blah, blah, blah. Guys come, jumping out of planes, you know, whatever, food. You know, hey, I, I, I'm i kind of an outreach guy. I don't have a problem with, with trying to get people in the door. But at the end of the day, salvation doesn't happen because you attend church. It happens when someone shares the gospel with somebody. And discipleship doesn't happen because you come to church. I don't disciple from the pulpit. I preach from the pulpit. I exhort, I teach, I do all the things I'm supposed to do, I instruct, but discipleship happens in the course of ministry with people who are following Jesus. And so a discipleship church uh, isn't going to grow on marketing principles. Um, uh, but a lot of other churches uh, don't really have much else. And so then that puts you in Laodicea because that's all they do have. That's all they're learning in college because, you know, exalting the word of God is not the priority. And teaching people the Bible in a way they want to hear it isn't the you know or even a lot of these guys don't know the Bible, they don't even know dispensation like how to rightly divide the Word of God. So it's very um, much what we're reading in Revelation. I mean, it's um, it's it's because we have not done our job of making the Bible the main thing. Uh, I think that we've kind of every so often we've you know and we have a tendency to follow these fads instead of just sticking to the Word of God, doing what we're here to do. But hey, look, this we're not like tearing it up tonight. We don't have 300 people here. So, you know, but if we got 300 people here, what are we going to do with them? Are we going to entertain them or are we going to teach the Word of God? You know, so I'm not against numbers. I'm not against getting people. Um, but I, at the end of the day, uh, it's not entertainment. And so, and that's what people want today. They want to be entertained. They want to have their ears tickled, you know, and they want to feel good about themselves and go home. So... Uh, I think it just has progressed from from there, and and um, you know, if you're a church planner, you get numerous books, and there's so many things you can do, and some of it's good stuff. Not all of those things are bad, so you just kind of got to chew the meat, spit out the bones. Um, especially in today's world, this is a world where everyone's visual. Uh, the lost world, they judge you so quickly. So understanding some of those precepts, I don't want to throw all that out. It's important, but it's not enough. Does that make sense? That's probably more than you want to hear about it. But does that answer your question? Okay. Um, and so, that, but it does, I think, contribute also to the wishy-washiness, you know. Uh, because if a pastor gets in the pulpit and he has no under, no empathy for the people that he's preaching to, and he doesn't understand the world in which he's living, and he's so scared, which is, by the way, I think a lot of what's happened with fundamentalists is they get scared. And so they run, they put up the, segre- the separation that we have to God becomes a separation from the world, which there's some health in that, obviously, in, in the sense of holiness, but not in outreach as far as getting the gospel where it needs to go on time. So we definitely need to not be so scared of the world that we're afraid to, uh, to take the gospel there. We should not be circling the wagons waiting for Jesus to come. I feel like we should fix the bayonets and run, charge right into the world with the gospel. I mean, what do we got to lose? We got heaven to gain. Get after it. You know, we ain't scared of the world. And so there's definitely a difference in, in the mindset, and that's kind of church to church, pastor to pastor, and group to group on how that is. You'll find a lot of Baptists are definitely circle the wagons. starts with the family movement in the 90s, which this is all pertinent, by the way, to, to what we are talking about with Laodicea. So I'm not really just talking, um, you know, randomly here, because how do we get to this wishy-washy place? Well, 
you know, James Dobson comes out. He's a psychologist, right? And, and he, by the way, James Dobson, again, it's, just, it's not that it's bad, right? It's not that it's really good. It's just, okay, James Dobson, you know? His testimony, his dad, he was erring, and his dad says his dad was a, a pastor, evangelist, speaker, and uh, his wife calls up and says, uh, hey, Jim Sr., your son's out of hand, and I can't control him anymore. Dad quits the ministry, takes a little pastorate somewhere, and invests in James Dobson, his son, so his son can be something. And you know what? James Dobson's a good man. And um, even though a lot of my friends would say he's terrible and all that, but I mean, he's a good man. And uh, he's written some good stuff, and you know, he's got some good stuff. But he's a psychologist at the end of the day. And so in the 90s, all the churches, and some of you guys are around to remember this, you know what it's all about? Protect your family. Protect your family. Not equip your family. Protect your family. Protect your family, which, again, is there anything wrong with protecting your family? Of course not. I want to protect my family. But at the end of the day, uh, when I became a pastor here, I was, really, I was really faced with this because our congregation, we had, we had these public school peeps, and we have these private school peeps, and then we have these homeschool people, right? So you have all these cultures, and, uh, which I'm great. I think we should, you, you know what? They're your children. You educate them however you want to educate them. Uh, that's what your responsibility is. And, of course, right now, I might recommend homeschooling. But at any rate, um, <laughs> so, so uh, you know, I mean, now might be the best time to homeschool. Um, however, though, you don't want to create a culture where uh, you're afraid of the world, right? And, I, and I'm not saying you should put your kids in. Today, it is not what it was even 15 years ago, um, even 10 years ago. And so, but at the end of the day, you can't be scared. Circle the wagons. Right? It's kind of like the new Baptist separatists. You can be cool. It's all about focusing on your family and let the world go to hell in a handbasket. You know? uh, and so it's, it's just a balance, both at an individual level, a family level, and then a church level. And, and so there has to be a balance between accomplishing the mission of God and the power of God for the glory of God versus your own self-interest. And definitely throughout the last 30 years or so, there's been a lot of Christian self-interest. If you look at it, and this became apparently clear to me in the last, as Samuel Samuel was born, we didn't have the internet streaming like we have today. So if you wanted to watch VeggieTales, well, you had to go to the market to get VeggieTales. And VeggieTales was out there for everybody to see. Just like when I was a kid, you were going to have to scroll across Billy Graham or Jerry Falwell, whether you liked it or not, on your way to go to you know, WW whatever wrestling on Sunday morning. You know, I was going to have to see. If I wanted to watch my wrestling program, I was going to have to watch Jimmy Swagger. That's just how it was, right? We all have this big, all this, these messages were coming at you across the board, right? So Rufus R. Jones, the freight train, I was looking for him and Bulldog Bob Brown, but I had to listen to the gospel, right? Because it was out there. That's just how it was. But now, as technology has, has crept over the, the culture, in Laodicea, well, you, you, don't, you don't ever have to watch. You don't have to watch. Uh, you don't have to flip by Andy Stanley. You don't have to go by Jimmy Swagger. You don't have, none of that stuff's going to, on your way to going somewhere away from that even, you don't have to hear that message anymore. This has just happened. My son just turned, he's 17. So this has happened in the last 17 years. When he was a little kid, we still had to go through channels. You know, I had to look through channels to get to the Christian cartoons, right? I had to go past the cartoons I didn't want to watch to get to the cartoons I wanted to watch. You know, or I had to go get my VeggieTales CDs right before I couldn't stream them and all that, you know. So, well, now you can stream whatever you want. 
and you never have to hear another message. So what's happened? Well, Christianity's like, great. We've got Christian music. We've got Christian this. We've got Christian entertainment. We've got, you know, VidAngel. we got, well, VidAngel, I don't think is just for Christians. That's a good, that's a good tool. Uh, isn't there a Christian one? PureFlix. You've got PureFlix. You've got this, that. And I'm not against the Kendrick. I love what the Kendricks do. I love the Christian movies. I love all that stuff. I'm not against any of that. I think it's great. But you can live your own Christian bubble and stream your own content and be your own little Christian person and never, ever cross over into the, the nasty old world flesh and the devil out there that's going to get you. And so we have to be more, now more than ever, Christians have to be more intentional about the ministry of getting the gospel where it needs to go on time. Because every, that's not just a Christian thing. That's everybody in the world. The, the whole, uh, I read a book about 10 years ago called The Filter Bubble. And now it's come to pass, which is that basically uh, the algorithms are going to program you. And so they know your interests, they know what you want, and they send you the messaging you want to hear. And unless you get out of that intentionally, and you go out of your way to get out of it, you're going to stay in your own bubble. And they're going to just keep marketing. And so this is not just an issue of the church, but the church, we're smarter than that. We got a Bible. We got a book that tells us what's happening. And we got brains. And so we see that, and we're like, oh, wait a minute. I got to get outside of my Christian context that is nice and comfortable, and I got to engage the world. Otherwise, I won't have a Christian context. And so it's not about our rights. It's about the, the fact that Jesus died for the world. And we got to get out there. Okay, so I'm preaching, and I'm not getting into my outline. So let's keep moving. But these are good things to consider, guys, because this is Laodicea. There's reasons why the church of Laodicea is the church of Laodicea, because we're focused on what we want and not what God wants. And there's also becoming more and more barriers to get what God wants done because technology is going to it can work for you or it can work against you, but you got to be wise to it so that you don't get caught in a filter bubble. All right. So uh they think things are great, but compared to what God says, things are rotten and spoiled. And that's how that can happen because you can get yourself in a bubble like, "Man, we're doing great." But when you look at the world, there's 6 billion people, 7 billion people how are they doing? Right? Are we doing great? You may have to dig to find out how the rest of the world's doing because it may not show up in your web browser. Right? Find out how things are going, really. Um, okay, so there's the condemnation. Let's see, I got to get through this tonight, don't I? Do we start the next week? Does that start the child rearing? See, this is the, what is today, the 13th? Okay, I think we start next week. Okay, so. Um, and so uh, let me move along here. So the characteristics of Laodiceans are found in, um, in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 3. Lovers of self, all about me, covetous, consumed with stuff, keeping up with Jesus, boasters, proud, blasphemers, uh, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, right? No, not sociable, unloving, uh, truce breakers, <clears throat> refuse peace or, uh, or reconciliation. Boy, does that not describe the where things are going today? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm so thankful for HBF, by the way. I got to just throw a shout out. This is a peaceable church. And uh, I don't care if you've been vaccinated. I don't care if you've been unvaccinated. You know why? Because you're a child of God. That's what matters around this building. And, uh, and so don't allow the devil to divide you up. I love Midtown. They did a great job. They're a very eclectic, diverse uh, congregation. 
man, that whole that whole summer last year with all the rioting and stuff, they could have tore that place up. But by God's grace, God was able to keep them together around the Word of God. That's what pulls us together is Jesus. But I tell you, it's a time of uh, of where people refuse peace and reconciliation, and we are ministers of reconciliation. Also, false accusers, which are slanders, they speak behind people's backs. Incontinent, there's no self-control. Uh, fierce, uh, you know, they have authority issues. Despisers of those that are good. Traitors, petty, uh, which is rash and uh, <clears throat> and reckless. They're high-minded. Uh, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Revelation 4.11, that's what it's talking about. Um, it says there in Revelation 4.11, uh, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things. Uh, for Thy pleasure they are and were created. So it becomes about our pleasure instead of God's pleasure. So how to spot a Laodicean? Um, <clears throat> they are full of pride. Oh, I having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. So there's a there's a it's, it's Christian, but it doesn't have the power of Christ. So God forbid, man, we should stop now and pray because we don't want that to be us. So 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 13 gives us the characteristics of Laodicea. The condemnation is found in Revelation 3, 15. Um, and so how to spot a Laodicean, they're full of pride and are deceived about their sin and sinfulness. Uh, they, so we minimize sin. We have situations in our church right now, I mean, underway, where there are people, uh, they're minimizing sin. They're like, Pastor, what is your problem? Why won't you receive my sin? Because I can't. Because I love you. Because it's not healthy for you, right? Um, but, you know, people, people underestimate sin. And, uh, and that's sad. They think uh, they can love God and money at the same time. You can't, ha- you can't have God and mammon. You love the one, hold the other. Hate the one, despise the other can't serve God and mammon. You can't do it. Money has to be to God, right? That's why tithing is so important. I just talked to my kids about this, my daughter the other day. When you get 10 bucks, first buck needs to go to Jesus, man. This is a good pattern, good habit. Uh, they think they're worshiping God while in the process of robbing him. Oh, man, that's scary. Uh, they think they're worshiping God while in the process they're robbing him. They think they know God's purpose, yet never lead anyone to Christ. Hey, that's a good how many of us have led people to Christ? And you know what? That's a good question. And not just like, have I ever? But hey, this week, have I led anyone to Christ? You know I haven't. That should convict my heart. Who have I witnessed to this week? Who, I, who have I tried to witness to this week? Who's burdening my heart? This practical stuff, just evangelism itself will, will try your heart. You know, what if we really care about the things Jesus cares about, how can we make disciples and not care about evangelism? What kind of disciples are we making? Remember, Jesus told those apostles or the, the Pharisees, you go, you, you, what do you do? You travel all over the world to find one disciple and then you make him tenfold the, the child of hell that you are. The real issues are not really being brought across into the discipleship realm. And so this good discipleship should be good evangelism. Um, and so uh, they, they are convinced that they are living a godly life even though there is no persecution. No persecution. Yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I think in this country especially, we should get a good taste of that. I mean, I would think that with, unless we're living in the bubble, there ought, if we're out there doing it, do it. You know what? Someone's going to shut the door in your face. Someone's going someone's to say, you know what? I don't appreciate the good news of Jesus. I mean, this, you don't have to be stupid about it. I mean, you shouldn't be offensive just with your nature. 
actually should be quite the opposite. We should be very winsome. We should be gracious. We should be kind. We should be loving. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering. <coughs> Excuse me. All that should be a part of our life, and it should be on display. But even in that, you know what? As we're reading in First John, the world hates God. That's just what it boils down to. And so uh, they're going to hate you because they hated him first. <coughs> they have no need uh, to trust God uh, because they themselves have provided everything. Oh, man, <coughs> I was just sharing with a pastor this last week, a missionary, uh, my times even here at this church when I was a pastor, and I'm like, somebody was wanting to help me out, and I'm like, oh, no, I got it covered. You know, coming out of the business world, I'm like, I got it covered. I've got a part-time job, and, man, God just, he just kicked my rear on that one. Uh, you know what? You don't provide for anything. God takes care of all your needs, according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So uh, they are confident and satisfied with their spirituality, don't want to grow, don't want to go. I remember when we first started the church, it blew my mind. We we implemented discipleship, and I'm like, uh, we're having we're having troubles with some, you know, because discipleship, to teach in the church here at this church, if you want to teach, you, you, discipleship is a must. You don't You don't enter the teaching realm without going through D1, which D1 is not meant to, it's not super rigorous. Um, it's just, it's just a basic entry level, you know, Bible study, basic doctrine. Um, so we implement that. And I'm like, uh, man, we're having a hard time getting people to work in the children's ministry and getting them to go in ministry. I found out there were some people that didn't actually want to get discipled because they knew it would open the door to ministry. And I was like, what, <laughs> what world am I living in? <laughs> they like, that was, they love church. They just didn't want to do anything. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, I don't even know what to do with this. So I preach 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Okay, so anyway, that was crazy. I just, I'll never forget that. Um, so they were, they were, they, they think uh, lukewarm is good. You know, just middle of the road's good. They, they don't call it lukewarm. They say balance. I think I said that three times tonight. Balance, balance. So they say it's balanced. They're afraid of fanatics, for sure. You know, Harold Henniger and those guys, I think it's Harold Henniger, maybe it wasn't, but one of the independent funding guys, I saw this in a book I was reading. Um, uh, I just it blew me away. This is in the fifties. You got an independent Fundy Baptist out there in Canton or Akron or whatever, standing in the middle of the highway doing a photo op. I might add for marketing reasons, but he's out there in front of this this beer truck. He stopped out on the interstate or the highway, and he's they shut down the beer industry one Sunday. It's like we're not going to have this going on on Sunday. And these preachers are out in the middle of the highway stopping beer trucks. And they're shutting down the beer runs in, in, in Canton or whatever, which, by the way, is controlled by the mob. And, uh, and they did it. I mean, these dudes were, that, they, were, these were coming, they came from a different cloth. They come out of World War II generation. Men were men. I mean, they, that's why they were called fighting fundamentalists. And I know that's totally offensive to people, and it's all uh, supposed to be you know, uh, inappropriate for today's culture, and I'm sure it is. But at the end of the day, there's a part of me that's like, you know what? I miss men like that. I mean, they at least would take a stand on something. And uh, and it may have been a social issue, but it's better than making no stand at all, right? Aaron Tippett said that. You got to stand for something or you're going to fall for anything, right? So so they don't realize that they're actually sickening to God uh, instead of pleasing God. They're wretched. They're full of affliction, miserable, stuck in a never-ending cycle of working to buy stuff. Uh, they're poor. Uh, not rich unto God, right? They don't have the true riches. They're blind. They're not walking in the light of God's word. They don't see where they're going. They're naked, right? They have no clothes. They're going to be naked at the judgment seat of Christ. God's counsel, we have already seen, verses 18 through 22. They're counseled to buy gold, pride in the fire, 
<clears throat> they, need to, they need white raiment, uh, purity of righteousness of the saints, to anoint their eyes with eye salve so that they can see with God's eyes and be zealous, therefore, I'm sorry, I'm moving ahead of you guys, be zealous, therefore, and repent, right? Be zealous, like Titus. And, uh, and of course, the last thing he says there is repent. Uh, Laodiceans will be able to purchase these items by cashing in their pride, right? That's what we got to let go of is our pride. And, uh, and we repent. We go the other direction. We follow Christ where he wants us to go. I like what Mark Trotter said. Whenever, wherever, however, whatever that was, he had this saying that you just be open to God and go where he tells you to go, what he tells you to do, when he tells you to do it, how he tells you to do it. If you do that, you're going to be fine. But Laodiceans will come up with it, 15 excuses, uh, you know, and, and all the reasons. But we need to do what God tells us to do. And uh, present preacher included. All right, so... Uh, there's God's resolve, verses 20 through 22. Jesus is on the outside knocking. Praise God for that. He's, he's calling. The door must be open from the inside in order to let Christ in. This is an internal conflict. Laodiceans are too busy, uh, too, uh, too busy inside to realize that Jesus isn't there. If they were to let him in, he would have fellowship with them. Now, technically speaking, I just want you to know, Jesus is in you. If you're born again, your soul is sealed to the day of redemption. Let me just rest- I really believe when we're talking what we're talking about is fellowship. This book has a hinge on it. It's called the spine. And what is sorely lacking in Laodicea is taking the time to open this book, this door, and fellowship with Jesus. Letting this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Right? This is what's lacking. I mean, if you're born again, he's in you. But he's like, hey man, I want to be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. I want to, I want to put something in the cupboards. I want, to, I want to get some furniture. I want to do some furnishings in this house, in this tabernacle. This, and I want to get this place in order so it's ready for the judgment seat of Christ. Could you help me? Would you open up the book? Would you fellowship with me? And of course, no, we're too busy watching Facebook or something else, watching TV. If they would let him in, if we let him in, he'll have fellowship. And by the way, if they will let him in, they'll, over, they'll be overcomers who are destined to be with Jesus forever. Man, right now, I, am, I was telling Amy the other day, I'm just so thirsty for overcomers. I just, I just, I just want to see people having victory. I just, I'm, just, I'm tired of defeat. I'm tired of defeatism. I'm tired of, the whole, I'm tired of being scared. Fear is not a liar. Satan is a liar, right? We're not given the spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. So, man, we've we, we got to put on Christ and understand that we have the victory. And that comes from the Word of God. That is why you're threatening and scary to people, because you really believe the Bible. When you really believe the Bible, it's like, that guy's like, he's serious. Like, he really means it. Yeah. Yeah, the Bible's all there is. This is the way, the truth, and the life. That's called fundamental. That's called fanatic. That's called, eventually, it's going to be hate speech. But at the end of the day, there's no other way, there's no other truth, and there's no other life. And you know what? God is so full of love and grace. He just wants people to know him and the power of his resurrection. And it's the love of God that constrains us. It's not because of hate. It's not because of fear. It's because of love that we're willing to take on any name that's, that we're called. You know, the word Christian was negative in its connotation initial, initially. But at the end of the day, that becomes the name. And so whatever people want to call us or think about us for being Bible believers, man, what in the world is wrong with believing the Bible? I mean, good night. If that's what you want to lay on me, it's like when I got saved and they started calling me, me and Todd Rose, they started calling us Jesus. I'm like, hey, I'll take that. Jesus is a good name. I'd rather be called Jesus than a lot of other things. So, I mean, Jesus is good. 
And of course, it was meant as a slight because we were being righteous or self-righteous and all that. But at the end of the day, I'd rather be called Jesus than a lot of other things I could have been called. So the Laodicean church age will end with the rapture, the catching away. <clears throat> and there's a conclusion there. Uh, it's, it's, uh, this is often considered a reward, and it will be if we're doing what's right, uh, by most Christians. But more than likely, it, its removal is due to failure. Uh, and it, we put there the, like the book of Esther. In the book of Esther, there's Queen Vashti. Uh, she is a, um, a Gentile bride. She's replaced with Ruth, or not Ruth, with Esther, because e- Esther is a Jewish bride. It's a picture of this time in history. Because the, G- the Gentile bride would not give honor to the king, he removes her and replaces her with a Jewish bride. We're coming on a day when the church is going to be caught up, and certainly for those that have overcome, it's, the judgment seat of Christ will be successful. They'll have raiment that's white. They'll have a crown of glory. They can throw at the, the Lord Jesus Christ's feet. They can give him the glory and the honor, and, and there will be an evidence that they, that they were living their life for him and that his power was working in and through them, and it will be wonderful. But for many Christians, they'll be naked and ashamed. And everything that we see here is going to come to pass. And you know what? That's why Queen Vashti got taken off the throne, and Israel will be put on the throne, the Jewish, the Jewish bride. And so that's what the book of Esther is all about, is that transition in the kingdom. So perhaps the most difficult thing to understand about this period is the fact that we're Laodiceans. We want to be Philadelphians, but the reality is oftentimes we are Laodicean in the way we act and the way we think and the way we conduct ourselves. So we must constantly seek to line up with the Scriptures. If you want to combat this, the only way to combat it is to open the book personally and overcome daily time in God's Word. It's the only way. Guys, I've been doing it for 30 years and I tell you what, I need it as much tomorrow morning as I needed it the first day I got up after my salvation. Every day, guys, fellowship in the Word of God, following God faithfully. I like what, uh, I like what Sam Miles says. Read this book until it reads you. Sometimes you're reading the Bible like, I ain't getting anything. Keep reading it until it reads you. You ever get in the Word of God in the morning, and then all of a sudden that God is speaking. And you know He's speaking. And then you're like, okay, Lord, whatever, whenever, however, I'll do what you tell me to do, how you want me to do it. We must always do what God says. Oh, man, this is a big one. Instead of just talking about it. right? We can't just talk about reaching the world. we got to pony up this Sunday. we got to go out and we got to take it to the streets. we got to invite people to the harvest party. we got to come to the harvest party, not just to entertain our children, which is a great thing to do, but come to the harvest party ready to engage with people, ready to talk to people, ready to build relationships, ready to ask God, seek God. Hey, God, could you open up a door here for me to share the gospel? I mean, that's what Christ, it's as simple as blocking and tackling for Jesus. Opening our mouth and talking about who Jesus Christ is, what he's done for us. And you know what? If we're living in the Odyssey, there's not a lot to report. You know, but when you're living for Christ, there's all kinds of blessings to talk about. Who was I just talking to this week? They were just rattling off all the blessings that God has blessed. And they really were in a bad way. And they were telling me, you know what? In spite of this, God's done this for me, this for me, this for us, this for us. And he's so good to us. And you know what they were doing? They were choosing to glorify God in the midst of their difficulty. The sad thing is the pastor can't remember who it was, but God knows who they are. And I do. what I remember is them glorifying God. And I think that's beautiful. So, man, by God's grace, may we uh, be a Philadelphian church. And the only way to be a Philadelphian church in, Laodicean, in a Laodicean age is to have a love for God's Word. And, guys, that's where it's at. We've got to love God's Word. 
and, uh, and, and clutch it, hold fast to the faithful word as we have been taught, and love souls. Love souls enough to get the gospel where it needs to go on time. As a church, we've got to be serious about the mission. Oh, can't fly? Well, let's get on a boat. We'll get in a canoe. I don't know, but we've got to get the gospel where it needs to go on time. we just got to do it. There's no discharge from this war. That's what Jesus said to do. That's what we're going to do. Amen? I get fired up talking about this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.